Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here this morning. Glad you're here. Glad we're hanging out together. Uh, I did want to say a word of thanks. Many of you have been praying for my nephew uh, who was injured in an automobile accident as a pedestrian last week. So God has been all over that process. It's been amazing. Um, Yeah, we covet your prayers. I know that my brother and his family, it's just the outpouring has been great and we're seeing uh, God move things along. So thank you very much for for praying for for Cal and continuing to pray for him. Now today, we're going to be continuing in our series, uh, Family Thriving, Surviving, Which One Do You Want? That's, That's the That's a more full title than you really wanted to know, but that's what it is. So we're going to be figuring out kind of how we can move to a place in our families where they're, um, yeah, it's it's a source of life. It's a source of joy. Now, if you missed last week, our children and young families pastor, Jeff Pruitt, uh, talked about how a change in our perspective, right, about the challenges that come up in our families uh, can mean a world of difference. And... uh, Really, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, If you're watching online, you can click the little sermon archive link, or if you're in here, go back and do that to get caught up with where we are. It's a a great, uh, that's just, it's great. It's it's a helpful and encouraging thing. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about communication in our families, and I want to kind of push this out a little bit and expand it, because what I'm going to say is that when we decide to kind of follow these principles... And, and decide that we're going to model what we see God modeling for us, I would say that it's not only in our families, but in all of our significant long-term relationships. Because honestly, in all of our significant relationships, we are making history, right? Have you figured that out yet? Like what we're doing today, how we're engaging today, how we're responding today we are constructing the relationship. And of course, it sounds epic, like, yo, we just made some history. So that's kind of cool for me anyway. But it's over the course of time that we build, like I like to say, we, we cut these grooves, these channels into our brains and into our reactions. And I would say that, you know, as Jeff mentioned last week, we tend to be more reactive than proactive, but I think God wants us to flip that. I think God wants us to be more proactive than reactive. And I'll tell you this, because reactive responses, for me anyway, that's where the stress lies, right? That's where, that's where it kind of puts me on edge. And I feel permanently unprepared for whatever happens, right? If you're in here and you're driving, you know, you, you might remember this, driver's ed class. Do you remember that? They always talked about all this kind of stuff. For me, my driver's ed, a Plymouth K car, if you remember that, hallelujah, right? We had two steering wheels. Um, The coach sat on the other side for me. He had a brake. And basically our job as uh, at that point, 15 year olds was to drive him to Hardee's every morning when we did that. And where he would, (laughs) he would read the newspaper as we tooled around Right? And then if we hit the brakes too hard, he'd kind of grunt. And that was, 
That was what it was because it was the 80s and it was Malden, South Carolina, and it was awesome. It was great. But the whole point of that, really, when he was talking to us, was he's like, hey, guys, you have to look down the road. Like, you have to be aware of what's coming down the road. I ride a motorcycle every once in a while. And part of that course that uh, they teach you in there is like, hey, there are zones where you can see things coming. So not only do you need to be aware of what's happening, you know, two or three seconds from where you are, look down 30 seconds, look down, you know, a tenth of a mile, look ahead and see what's coming, right? Stay alert. I think that's what God wants us to do in our family and in our significant relationships is to stay alert. You'll see this in Psalm 90, verse 12 says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. God is saying, hey, look, don't just stumble blindly through your life. Have you figured out yet that the most valuable resource we have is time? Really, honestly. The only thing that we can't make more of is time. And it's all of our interactions over time and these significant relationships that make the difference. Now, I know all of us kind of would love to, to get this magic kind of golden ticket, right? That would be awesome. They would just say, hey, look, well, if you do this, you know, do this thing and then your life, your relationships will, will turn out to be exactly what you envision them, exactly what you would like to be. But there really isn't anything like that. And our society, of course, will try to uh, hand us plenty of things to, to attempt that. And it doesn't really matter what your natural style of parenting is. Maybe you're an attachment parent, right? Maybe you're a free-range parent. Maybe you're an authoritative parent, a permissive parent, a tiger parent, a helicopter parent, a unicorn parent, which I don't know what that is, but I know there's a book somewhere written with that. But I think the Bible shows us principles of how we can be in these relationships, how we can invest in these relationships, making the most of the time that we have. And that's what we're going to be looking at today because what we're going to see is not only has God modeled this and these principles in his relationship with us, but we also see Jesus doing the same thing with his disciples. And of course, I figure if it's good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for us. Now, there is a book that you can uh, go find a more detailed framework that's pointed uh, more specifically at parenting by a guy named Reggie Joyner. It's called Playing for Keeps. I'd encourage you if this kind of, at the end today, as we get through our 32 points, just kidding, it it won't be 32. But if we get to the end today and it kind of tweaks something, Reggie Joyner, Playing for Keeps, it's a great, it's a great book. So let's get started with our first principle, which seems obvious, but it doesn't necessarily make it any easier. The first thing we see is that communicating love over time lets our family members know their worth. Now, for some of us, this is a very natural thing, but let's be honest, for others of us, depending on temperament and the way we grew up, this may be something that's more difficult. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's this, hey, well, I do all this stuff for these people. Don't, shouldn't they know that I love them? Which is kind of true, but at the same time, it needs to be something that we need to communicate to them. I still remember the first time I was aware of this, my oldest son had just been born. I remember calling my dad. I was like, I cannot be a dad. Like there is no one that should be calling me a dad. Like I do not know what I'm doing. I have no idea. And he was like, uh, 
you'll be fine. We were 21 when we had your, you know, you kids, you'll be fine. And so in that, that time of just like, what am I supposed to do? I remember um, stumbling across, there's a guy named James Dobson that used to be kind of a parenting guru. And he said this, and man, it lodged in my brain. He said, look, there will be no perfect parenting. You will make mistakes. You will get angry. You will do things that you need to apologize for. You will not be perfect. But if your kids know that you love them, that will become the definition of the relationship. We don't need to be perfect. We need to be loving. And we see that in how God treats us, right? We know that God has loved us consistently over time, resulting in the work of Jesus. Look at Ephesians 4.32. I think this is why Paul pointed this out. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Why? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. I mean, do you realize that at the very beginning of the creation with Adam and Eve, that first moment, that first failure that God set in place this long line of love that culminated in Jesus, right? Consistent, a long display. And because of that, we know, we know that we have worth. We know that we have value to him. Jesus showed the same type of everyday consistent love to his disciples in John 15. He says, as the father has loved me, right? I have also loved you. So this needs to be the root of our relationships. And again, family, significant, wherever you are right now. And, I, and we need to be clear on this. This needs to be communicated without any question of performance. Ah, right? One of the greatest habits I think you can get into as a parent is to say to your child, Hey, you know, I love you. You know why? And when they go, why? I go, because you're Jill, because you're Michelle, because you're Bob, right? Just because you are, that's why I love you. Because that's how God loves us. We know everyone will learn that the world's definition of love is based on what? Performance, success, beauty, whatever it is. So we need to be sure that we communicate it apart from that and say, hey, even if you do nothing for me, I love you. You do nothing for me, I still love you, which is exactly what Jesus gave to us. So let's create a foundational sense of worth in our people because we are communicating our love to them over and over again. All right, let's go on. Number two. Using positive words over time helps our family members set their direction. Positive words over time helps our family members set their direction. One statistic I read as I was getting ready for this is that for every one comment of affirmation, there are seven criticisms. Like, think about that. Man, just chips away at us. Words are powerful. Words have an impact. And you know, the, uh, 
The guy, whoever came up with the uh, saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. He was a fibber. He was a liar. Look there, I used a word. Pejorative word right there, right? Here's how we all know this. Right now, can you think of something hurtful that was said to you five years ago, one year ago, 10 years ago, when you were a kid, right? Those things lodge about maybe something you did, some mistake you made, the way you looked. I mean, wow. Words lodge in our souls and they shape the direction of our lives. So we can recognize that fact and be positive to help our people, help those that we love live in a positive direction. Here's how Proverbs says it. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away anger, right? Brings everything down, but a harsh word will stir up wrath. And this is the example that God set for us throughout the Bible, right? Now, this is the God who created, you follow along with this? He created everything with what? Words. And he creates Adam and Eve, and after he creates them, what does he do? He blesses them with what? With words. He doesn't expect them to just pick up on it. He goes, hey, I am blessing you. This is in Genesis 1, If you want to go check it out later. I, I think that's why Paul wrote this. This is also not on your outline. Uh, Ephesians 4, 29. You want to jot this down? Paul says this, no foul, abusive language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Words have the power to build or destroy. They set a course for life. You know this. If the right people tell you something often enough, whether it's good or bad, guess what? You'll start to believe it. Isn't that right? If you get told for good or bad often enough, the same thing, whether it's helpful or hurtful, you'll start to believe it. And we see Jesus demonstrating the power of being positive in what he said with his disciples. I think of his interaction with Peter. Now, you know, Peter is one of those guys. He had some issues. He's great. Probably the most strong-willed of all of the disciples. And Jesus was talking with the guys about like, okay, well, you know, what's the word out there? Who are people saying that I am? And, um, you know, they're like, well, you know, Elijah, maybe, or another prophet, and Jesus goes, okay, well now, what about y'all? What do you think? And this is on your uh, outline. Matthew 16, Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, so Petra, Greek word for rock, so he's called him Rocky. And on this rock, you, I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. I love that Jesus gives Peter these encouraging words, like just straight up, speaks into his future. And he doesn't do it, like, have you ever had the, uh, <laughs> the compliment insult? Have you ever gotten that? Where Jesus is like, ah, Peter, 
I can't believe you finally got something right. You're normally so dumb, but you did this. You got this right. That's amazing. I am shocked and surprised that you actually answered something correctly. Have you ever gotten those? Those are no fun. That's where you're always like with a boss or something. You're like, wait, am I, is that a good thing? Is that bad? I'm not really sure how to feel about that. But Jesus gave him straight up, hey, good job. And I know that you're going to do a great job with the responsibilities that are coming your way. And can you imagine what this meant to Peter? We just finished up Easter, right? So if you're familiar with the story, before they go out, Jesus talks to Peter and he says, hey, look, you're going to betray me? Peter's like, no, I won't. Peter denies Jesus three times. Can you imagine what these words meant to Peter? I mean, the Bible says, it doesn't say he wept. It doesn't say he cried. It says he wept bitter tears. But can you imagine what the anchor, right, of this statement was in his soul? Where he's like, but he said, I'm going to be fine. Right? That's the power of words. And we can tap into that. Because life is hard enough, honestly. We need to be encouraging to the people around us to help keep them focused on what they should be focused on, which is God's good desires for their life. Let's set them in that direction. Number three, sharing stories over time helps our family members gain perspective. So share stories to help them get perspective. This is all over the Bible, if you're familiar with, especially the Old Testament. Tell what you saw. Tell what you saw God do. Tell everyone who God really is. In the New Testament, go, Jesus said to the disciples, tell them what I did. Tell them what I taught. Because when we share the stories of what God's doing, we help people gain perspective. We see it very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what God commanded Moses to do as the people were getting ready to go into the promised land. He says this, when your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees, the statutes, the ordinances, which the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. And it goes on from there to go through the whole story. Because we all lose the plot, right? We all get lost in the minutiae of life and forget what God has done, forget how he acts. And stories have a way of slipping past that. Um, you know, it's interesting, it's checking out. So I think that's why the whole uh, watch what you want, when you watch, all the streaming services, Netflix, Amazon Prime. So last year, they added to all those services 50 million streaming sub- subscriptions, right? So 50 million Uh, in 2020. This year, they're expecting to add another 47 million, right? Why is that? I think because there's something inside of us that responds to stories. So when we have the opportunity, right, we engage in that, right? More so than just straight up information. (laughs) I just thought of TED Talks. I don't think there are 50 million people subscribing to TED Talks. That's just me. You know, I think Jesus knew this because how did, how did he get information across? How did, he, how did he teach? What did he use? What were the stories called? Parables, right? He used parables. 
So much so that even the disciples began to notice Matthew 13. It says, then the disciples came up and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now we read that and I think sometimes we think that the disciples, you know, everything that happened was like, oh, thou to Jesus, why dost thou teachest thou so? And you know, they're getting their little pen and paper out and they're like, what is this? I don't think that's really what it was. You know what I really think it was? I really think the disciples were going, Jesus, man, why do you always teach in parables? Because if you read through the gospels, guess who didn't get the parables a lot of the time? Yeah, the disciples. You'll see them go up to him afterwards and go, okay, so like we know, we know that we should probably know this, but you know, like what are you talking about, right? And Jesus would go on and explain to help them understand, right? Sometimes I think the disciples were like, can you not just answer a question? But stories help engage us in ways that just raw information doesn't do. Okay, I'm going to admit this. Some of you may get up and walk out, but big fan of the Christmas Hallmark movies. All right, I'm just going to tell you this. It happens every, every season, okay? Now, here's the weird thing. I can tell you what that movie is going to be. I can tell you. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you right now. And if you want to watch this Christmas come up, just put your fingers in your ears because I'll ruin every movie for you. So this is the way it's going to work. So there's going to be this girl, right, who's at this office in some city, right? And something's going to happen that means she's going to have to move to the country, right, where she's going to meet some small town, some small town dude, right? And surprisingly, he will turn out to be the guy of her dreams, even though there's a lot of friction to begin with. They're not really sure, okay? And then eventually she will realize that he's the guy. He'll realize that. And literally, you ready for this? And y'all, you know this is true. In 180 seconds, the whole thing will be like, oh, yep, there they go. Kiss, and that's it. Is that right? Right? The last three minutes? Yes, I see the nodding. Yeah, it just finishes up. And guess what? I still watch them. <laughs> I still watch them. Why do I watch them? Because it affirms, right, something about the way the world works and how we want it to work, right? The stories that God does in our lives teach us, let us see, what, how, oh man, what would I like this to be? Now, this is a thing, honestly, that I think sometimes as parents, uh, we don't necessarily leverage enough, and, and it's in one specific area, because I don't think in our relationships, in our families, we take hold of the opportunity, you ready for this, that our failure stories provide, right? The times when we missed it, right? We can get uncomfortable and, of course, do not do anything, you know, inappropriate. But I'm saying we need to be willing to share about how we messed up because that story is power. You know, when we have adult leaders who want to come work with students, I will say to them, each and every one, look, these students going through this period of their life, this is not the time for you to be the cool person that you wish you were in high school or college. Like, they need to hear that you were a goober, you know, that you didn't have it all together, that you made mistakes, that you were absolutely clueless because we all were. We think that sharing our triumphs gives us the influence, but we all know that when we share our tragedies, because that's when we're honest. We're all messed up. And people know that they can trust us 
Our kiddos know that they can trust us when we share our tragedies. So let's share them all and help these people understand God's perspective on life. All right, let's keep moving. Number four, during doing work together over time helps our family members realize their significance. I think this is an interesting point that when we're willing to dive in and work together, and yes, is it a hassle? Yes, it is. But what does it do? It builds significance in their lives. Because again, this shouldn't really be a surprise. What, uh, what, what did God give Adam to do? He gave him a job. He said, take care of the garden. And then he gave Eve the harder job. He said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to take care of Adam, right? Which we all know. That's the, the more difficult job. I was talking to a friend of mine and said, you know, I'm so glad that your wife is talented enough to be your handler. And he was like, wow, that's, I've never thought of it. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what she does, right? It's baked into us, into our DNA, that we find significance when we figure out why God has us here and what he wants us to accomplish. Ephesians 2 says this, we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. We are created to do things. And again, while this doesn't change, right, or define our worth, depending on what God has for us, we do find significance in discovering what we're good at doing. I mean, this is true even here at the church, right? Hey, look, I mean, I think I'm consistent. I think everybody on staff is consistent. If it doesn't bring a smile to your face when you're trying to serve here, like find some place that does. I mean, children, youth, serving coffee, welcoming people at the door, working on the facilities, hanging out with mission partners, being a part of the, the greeters, whatever, right? There is a place for you to fit, your spot. And until you find that, you're going to be dissatisfied. Even Jesus knew that his disciples needed time to discover what they were good at before he entrusted them. So they went everywhere with him, right? Look at this, tiny little verse, Luke 7, 11. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Everywhere, they did everything. Include your people in what you're doing. Help them discover how God made them so that they can do that for the rest of their lives. You know, it's amazing how well this worked because the disciples carried on through the power of the Spirit and we're still here talking about it 2,000 years later. And let me tell you, I can just tell you, ain't nobody gonna be talking about me 2,000 years from now. See what I'm saying? So let's invest in getting these people on the path they need to be on. So if we invite them in to accomplish things, significant things together, they'll innately understand that they're capable. Point number five, celebrating together over time helps our family create connection. Celebrating together over time helps our family create connection. Now, this is a huge thing when we decide that we're going to choose to celebrate the big and the little because what we're doing is we're creating this connection of joy. God, so many times in his word, encourages us to choose to be joyful. Right in the here now, Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You got a reason to celebrate? Yeah, why? Because the sun came up. Because you're here. Because it's a day. That's what this is saying. 
Every day are you celebrating in some way with those significant people? I think this is why people who study uh, families and parenting dynamics say that eating dinner together uh, during the week as much as you can is so important because it's in this casual ritual that you have the opportunity to celebrate. You celebrate like, hey, you got a grade that was better than you thought, right? Or you celebrate, hey, that new friend. Or you celebrate, hey, there's this opportunity. And of course, the big stuff is awesome as well, but so are the little ones. And we see again, Jesus modeling this. So he ended up with 70 followers uh, that he wanted to send out. And he was like, hey, look, split up into teams of two, so that's 35. See, I, I went to school. 35 teams got, he said, I want you to go to all the cities and towns where I'm going to follow behind you. And I want you to let them know that I'm coming and tell them that God's kingdom is on the way. So he sends them out, right? Gave them clear instructions. And then look what happened when the whole thing was over. Luke 10, 17, the 70 disciples returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. I mean, this was crazy. Jesus, you would not believe, which is kind of an interesting theological statement. But anyway, and his response, guess what? He celebrated with them. If you read on further, his response basically, it's like, hey, look, I'm not surprised. Guess what? I saw Satan fall. Like I've known this whole thing is going to go down like this. And I've given you authority in this time for you to do these things. Man, this is awesome. And I think one of the reasons why celebrating and engaging in that together is so important is because it verifies and it confirms the authenticity of forgiveness, right? There are going to be things that happen in our families, in our relationships. There are going to be disruptions. There are going to be bumps. There are going to be ripples. There's going to be whatever. But when you move through those with honesty and you get to the other side, right? When you celebrate together, it shows it's done. It shows that it's done and it's going to be okay. I mean, you really can't have fun with someone if you're mad at them, right? And I don't know, I grew up with brothers, right? So I'm the youngest of three. I remember those times. My parents had this interesting way of, uh, so whenever there was a, like a fracture or something, like they would deal with it and then just go on like normal, right? And I don't know if this was your experience. I remember riding in the back seat of the car, which back when there was all one seat, right? Because no one wanted to sit on the hump. Anyway, back in that day, sitting on that, sitting on that hump, and there were three of us, so we were all jammed up together. And I remember how exhausted I got trying to stay mad at the, you know, idiot brother who was beside me. Do you, know, do you remember that? Like, I'm, I'm supposed to be mad. And then after a while, you're just like, okay, whatever, I can't do it anymore, Right? Why? Because when we actually do life together, it helps us to get over those things. You can't keep up all that angry emotion. Jesus celebrated with his disciples, I think, because they were goofballs. I mean, they missed the point a lot. Missed the point a lot. Had to correct them a lot. If you've ever uh, read through the Gospels, when someone comes to me and they go, you know, I just think, you know, those disciples, they were, all that stuff was written just to increase their power, like they were going to make this world religion. And, you know, like, so they just wanted to, I'm like, have you ever read it? Have you read what those guys were like? I mean, have you read how many times they absolutely missed it? One of my favorites is when they're in a boat and Jesus is like, hey, y'all, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And they're like, oh, we forgot the bread. He's so mad now. I can't believe this. <laughs> 
It's, okay, last thing. It's so bad that even in Acts, right, which is written by Luke, the guy who wrote the gospel, in Acts, they're, <laughs> it's recording that they're having this interaction uh, with one of the ruling councils. And he writes down, yeah, the council was shocked because they're like, the council said, these guys are uneducated, untrained. Like, I mean, he's going, they didn't have much to bring. But still, right, Jesus wanted to celebrate with them, even in all the mistakes, everything else. So when we celebrate together, we show that we're wanting to maintain our connections with each other. All right, now here's the final one. It's really not 32 points, just to let you know. Number six, final one, helping the people in our family identify their tribes over time helps them to find belonging. Now, what I mean by tribes is uh, those groups of people who love God and want the best for your people, right? Your kiddos, your significant others. Everybody's going to need somebody. Everybody needs somebody. Everybody is going to end up attached to a group. And that's a good thing if we help that direction where they end up. Look at Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. If either falls, his companion can lift him up. Pity the one who falls without another. Also, if two lie down, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. I think that's why we, especially as parents, need to be intentional in the process. It's going to happen, you know, with teenagers, here are three things that are true about pretty much every teenager. Number one, they probably care more about what their friends think at a certain age than what you do as a parent. If that's disheartening to you, I'm very sorry. I hate to be breaking it to you. Number two, they probably care more about what other adults think at a certain age than what you think. And number three, they care more about what you think of them than anyone else. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense, but they're teenagers. And that's the way it works. So leverage that opportunity you have to point them to the right groups. Like if you're in here, you're following Jesus, like yes, get your kiddo, your middle school, your high school or whatever. Get them where they can hear other voices saying the same thing that you're saying as a parent. And you'll hear it. Man, I'm so grateful when my, my kids come to me. I, I remember this very specifically. One's like, hey, so you know, I was talking to blah, 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 another adult. And they, they said, blah, 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 blah. Isn't that great? And I was like, I've been telling you that for 15 years. Like, what is wrong with you? I didn't say that. I did think it, obviously, because I'm saying that now. But you're like, yes, that's wonderful. Wow, they are so wise. I'm so glad that they're around you. That is awesome. I appreciate it. And I do, right? That confirmation, that affirmation. Jesus recognized that he needed to encourage his disciples to stick together. So they could keep connected to each other and God. And he said this in John 13. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another. And by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The significant people in your life and your family, they are going to connect to other people. So let's figure out how to help them connect to other people who are walking with Jesus. So this is where we land today. This is going to be a word kind of straight up to us uh, parents here, right? You know, when it comes to parenting, I've never met a parent yet who walked out of the adoption process, the waiting room, whatever, and said, man, I am so excited. I cannot wait to mess up my child's life. I've never met that parent. 
I've never met anybody do that. But I will say this. There is no such thing as easy parenting. As a matter of fact, even bad parenting is very difficult. And I tell this from experience. I should know I have days. We actually do this in our family where we say to our, our kids, mine are older now, we, <laughs> we still say this, you know what? We went through this, I did this, I did that. I'm so sorry. We, this, we are putting $35 in your therapy jar. So when you are you know, an adult and you wonder what's going on, like we will pay for the session that this day is going to cause. We just go ahead and admit it. It, it is true. I, you know, I'm talking to my parents. They're 79 at this point, and uh, they still remind me, oh, by the way, that never stops. And I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Here's the deal. We love the people in our family. We love the people we're in significant relationships with. Look, we want to communicate love to them so they know that they're valuable. We want to speak positive words to them so they can go in a good direction. We want to leverage stories, ours and God's, to help them gain the right perspective. We want to work together with them so they can realize they're significant, they're capable. Man, do you know the under 25s, man, struggling with this idea of being capable, being able to do things. And we want to celebrate throughout our time with them to create fun connections while getting them connected in right relationships. But here's the thing, that is not going to happen unless we take God seriously, as he says in Psalms 90, teach us to number our days carefully. I still remember, and then this is it, I still remember I was working with uh, Susan's dad. We were building a house and, um, you know, in between like slicing my thumb and hammering other stuff. And we would have these significant conversations. At the time, Susan was pregnant with our uh, second child, Anna. And one of the conversations we were having, (laughs) we were trying to lag bolts anyway it's crazy was he said you know he said this it's it's amazing that we know that our kiddos will be with us you know 18 19 20 years and at that point after that we know that they're going to be on their own so shouldn't we spend the time we have with them in our care getting them as ready as possible to love God and live the life that he has for them He's like, it's like raising a crop. You know there is a harvest coming. We know that our time with everyone in our families and significant relationships will not stay in the same season forever. So let's number our days so that we can build these good things into the people we love. Let's pray.